Well, good morning and welcome Calvary Quakertown. Happy Father's Day to all you men up there. We've already begun the celebration here and we hope you're celebrating up there. Well, believe it or not, this morning we conclude our reality check series. Some of you may be glad the series is over. Others of you say, well, I need, a more, I need more of a reality check and here are some other areas. Well, regardless of what you think, the series is going to be over today. So far, we've looked at a number of topics and let, let me encourage you, if you ever begin to wonder, so how does this square up, this particular issue square up with what I hear from culture, what I'm hearing in the world, what I'm reading in the newspaper, go back and check out the messages and the things that we did. We talked about Christianity. What's Christianity really? We talked about community and how we can live in community. We talked about money and finances and marriage. We talked about grief. We talked about rest. We talked about worry and anxiety and a few other topics. So if you ever begin to wonder, what does the Bible say on these topics? Go back, recall the messages, and then figure out how we together and you separately can live out those principles. Well, this morning, we're going to, talk, we're going to do a reality check on church. Church. Let me uh, give you the reason as to why we're going to end with church. Let me do it in the form of two questions. Now, I want you to be honest. How many of you have ever asked, or how many of you have ever been asked this question? Where do you go to church? Raise your hand. Yeah, we all ask that. Now, here's the right, and we know what that means, right? Where do you go to church? Oh, your church is so big. Oh, your church is small. Oh, your church is quaint. Oh, your church is cool. Your church, right? Uh, here's the interesting thing. You will never find that question in the Bible at all. In fact, even more uh, amazingly, that question would have made absolutely no sense to members of the church in the first century. No sense at all. You see, it was only over the centuries that church became associated with a building. In English, the word church can mean building, but in the New Testament, their word for church could not mean built. There were no church buildings. So to kind of take church and boil it down to mean building, that would have been complete nonsense in the first century. Where do you go to church? Church was people. Church was not place. But in our world, church has become place, and the people get kind of lost in the background. It would be like this. Suppose you walk up to a crib. You're visiting somebody, and you know, use the bathroom, and you know, if you're nosy like some people, you check out all the bedrooms while you're up there look, going to the bathroom, and, and you look into the little nursery, and you see the crib, but the baby's downstairs playing, and parents come, what are you doing? In the, boy, you have a beautiful baby looking at the crib. So, what? Baby's downstairs. No, this baby is beautiful, but that's nonsense, right? Um, this, friends, is the crib, and you're all big babies, right? Sorry, <laughs> but you kind of get the point? Um, place is not church. And so it would have been nonsense to have somebody say, so where do you go to, where do you go to church? We are church. How do you go to where we are? And when we leave, we're just as much church as when we're here. So let's do a reality check. Church is more people than place. Here's another one. How was church today? All right, raise your hand. How many of you have ever asked that? Yeah, I know, I know. Hey, you're afraid to raise your hands now because you know I'm going to critique you. <laughs> you will never find that question ever in the Bible, and that question would have been nonsense in the Bible. If church is people, how in the world are you going? So how was church today? 
I don't know, how are we? What, right? Um, and you can't, you can't answer the question until the end of the day. How did we do today? How did we do continue what Jesus started? What do we mean when we ask, how was church today? Here's what we mean. Did I like the service? Let's be honest. Did it fit my preference list? Was the music in my sweet spot? Was the sermon the way I wanted? And was it short? Right? I know, I know, it's Father's Day. Was it short? Um, were the illustrations connecting with me? Was the room too hot or too cold? Could I see the screens? The side screens weren't working. How in the world could I have a good church service today? That would have been nonsense in the first century. How was church today? Let's rewind the tape. How do you think God would answer the questions? Do you go to church today? We are church. How was church today? I'll tell you what. Let's answer that question as we're getting in bed tonight. And we say, how did we live as a community following Jesus today? Funny how the reality and the fantasy are very different things. Well, let me read a few verses, and then we'll tie together some pictures, and then we'll be done. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2. I read through Ephesians a few times uh, these past couple weeks. And interestingly... The book of Ephesians has a lot to say about church. In fact, Ephesians is the only one of Paul's letters in which he doesn't address a problem. All the other books that he writes are problem-centered. You guys are screwing up here. Let me fix it. You Ephesians isn't like that. Ephesians is just kind of a, hey, here's what church is about. So if you want to know what church is, read Ephesians, right? Five simple chapters on six chapters on what church is about. Now I'm going to string together some verses that present metaphors. God often gives us pictures, not principles, in how we should do things. So let me begin reading in chapter 2, verse 18, and see if you can uh, think of the pictures with me. Chapter 2, verse 18. Through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jump over to chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One last verse from chapter 5, verse 31. This is a profound mystery. He's talking about marriage, husband and wife. Profound mystery. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, two will become one flesh. This is a really big, mysterious thing. If you're married, you know it's a mystery. But then Paul says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Huh? See how that works? So some pictures. Here's our uh, script for the next few minutes. I'm going to mention the picture, give you a couple paradoxical pieces to the picture, 
do a personal and kind of a community application, and then we'll be done. Here's the first picture. You should have it in your memory banks by now. The first picture is that of a body. Did you notice that as I read? It's the picture of a body. Um, and that's one of Paul's favorite pictures for the church. In fact, a long exposition of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The point of the body metaphor, the point of the body picture is this. Unity, paradox, diversity. So picture it like this. Your body is composed of lots and lots and lots of members. And as the medical world has kind of increased in their sophistication, we realize there are a whole lot more members than we thought and a whole lot more members than Paul would have thought in his day. The body, all these different members, but one body. Unity, diversity. That's the paradox. One body, lots and lots of different members. If it wasn't that way, our bodies would be a mess. So just hypothetically, if your whole body was a giant eyeball. You could really see stuff, right? I mean, you could see dangers, thought provided you had good sight in your eye. Only one eyeball, hopefully you have good sight. You could see dangers far away. You couldn't do a darn thing to get out of the way of the danger. You had no feet to run. You'd be a sitting eyeball for the danger that's coming. You'd just sit there, right? And you'd be, suppose you see something beautiful and wonderful. You can't share it with anybody because you don't have a mouth to talk. If you were an eyeball, you could really, really see. You couldn't avoid danger and you couldn't share what you see as beautiful. We are unified but diversified. That's the picture. Paul loves that picture. The Bible often talks about that picture. So here's your personal application for all you guys. It's fathers. Here's the father. Here's the father application. God has graciously given each of us, women and men, a body. You have a physical body. I sure hope you're taking care of that body. And I know, you know, the Bible says, yeah, but physical exercise and training is only, but it's good for something. And once your body checks out, you're gone. You're gone, right? And so, guys, are you taking care of your body? But notice, unity and diversity, Christ is the head how are you doing with that aspect of the body? Are you living, men, corporately, individually? Are you living under Jesus' head? Are you living under Jesus unified, living under Jesus diversified, living as you're called to live in the body, respecting each other, living, helping each other the way members of the body do? First picture. Here's the second picture. Not body, but building. Do you notice that as I read? Yeah, Paul talks about... You know, Jesus is the, it's kind of weird. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the architect. And Jesus is the cornerstone. So like some general contractors I know, right? They want to do everything. Cornerstone, architect, builder, he's everything. And here's the point. Buildings have great stability, much more than a tent. Think first century. A building is much more stable than a tent. But the way the, the building is described we are all under construction. What does that mean? We're a mess. Did you ever go to a construction site? I mean, they've been a building. I mean, how long is this Northeast Extension thing going to go on, right? At least I can get the lands down now without going through hell. Now it's the next stretch. Um, construction sites are by nature messy and dirty. And uh, we are under construction. Therefore, don't expect things are going to be neat and clean. It's a mess, right? You're a mess. Well, because we're all a mess, you put all the messes together, you get a giant mess. Under construction, but stable. So let me ask you men, 
Some of you are contractors, some of you are builders. How are you doing at your job? Do you do your job in alignment with Jesus, the cornerstone? Are you in alignment with that? Or is Jesus only something you do Sunday mornings, right? And then you kind of compartmentalize that. When you show up at work tomorrow, then you kind of live however you want. Are you doing your work under the direction of Jesus, the builder, in alignment with Jesus, the cornerstone? And are you doing it giving people space at work and at church because we're all under construction? I don't know about you, but here's how I often live. I want other people to live having their acts together. But I want them to give me lots of space because my act is not together. What? That doesn't fit. Stability. Under construction. In your work and in this community, live in alignment with Jesus. What that means for you in your work. What that means for you in your neighborhood. And living, giving people space because we're under construction God hasn't deputized any one of us or group of us to be his policeman, going around with a baton, whipping everybody else into shape. The shepherd can handle his sheep. He doesn't need us to do that. Building. All right, here's our third uh, picture. Third picture is um, family. Family. So we're no longer foreigners and strangers in the context there's Jew and Gentile. And if you think there is division as there is in our country when it comes to races and ethnic groups, that is nothing compared to the Jew-Gentile split that there was in the New Testament. Very similar. That animosity, division, schism ran deep. And what does he say? You're no longer foreigners and strangers. All you Gentiles, you've been brought in. You know, it's not the Jews that have, you know, only the inside track. No, no, no. We're members of his household. So what does that mean? Well, it means in a household, there are benefits right? And in a household, in a family, there are responsibilities. All right, guys, personal application because it's Father's Day. How are you doing with your families? You know, sometimes, let's be honest, we sacrifice the family and those relationships to get ahead in our career. Oh, wrong plan, wrong plan. Um, how are we doing in our responsibilities with our kids? Um, at the end, you know, when you're finally checking out, is it really going to be the extra 10 hours you could have worked and spent on that project or the time you could have spent with your kids doing something cool with them and those memories will last forever? Which of those is going to be most important on that day? Or which of those is going to be most important a million years from now? How are we doing in our households? But how are we doing in the bigger household of faith? That's the picture. I, I know that when I say household, immediately you all think, oh, because the Bible says God is Father. It does say God's Father all the time. But there are also lots of pictures in the Bible where God is pictured as mother. Remember, God is spirit. He doesn't have a gender, all right? It's the picture of father that's important. But God also comforts his people the way a mother comforts her children. Jesus says, and like a hen, I'd love to gather my little chicks under my, under my hens are not men, right? Hens are not male. So the, God is perfect parent, providing, caring, in a family, there are benefits. Think often of the benefits that we have being in the family of God. And we're only members of that family because we've been adopted through the sacrifice of our older brother, Jesus. But there are also responsibilities in that family. Living out, brother, sister relationship. Living in obedience to parents. Making sure we live out those benefits. Experiencing them, being grateful for them but then also living out our responsibilities as we continue what Jesus started. Next picture. 
bridegroom and bride, right? Jesus, bridegroom, church, bride. There's the, the most intimate of the pictures, okay? What's the paradoxical connection? Interesting, every picture has a paradoxical connection. Here's one. This is by far the most intimate picture. Uh, I remember reading years ago, I, I think I remember correctly, there are over a hundred metaphors in the Bible that describe God's relationship with his people. And if it wasn't Father's Day, I'd walk you through every one of them this morning. No, I wouldn't. Um, but by far the most intimate of all those hundred and some pictures is the bride and the bridegroom picture. It's certainly more intimate than the potter clay picture. And that one, we're dirt. All right? And it's more intimate than the shepherd sheep, and that we're stinky sheep. King citizen, yeah, just submitted, you know, just vine branches. I mean, we're kind of alive, but, you know, we, we produce grapes. That's good. But um, the most intimate, husband and wife, intimacy. But along with the intimacy comes faithfulness, right? There's always the paradox. We experience intimacy, but out of that intimacy, there comes a faithfulness and a loyalty. It's an exclusive relationship. That's why often in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Turning your back on God, going after your own desires, living according to what your heart's calling you to or someone else or something else is calling you to, that's spiritual adultery because you're taking your husband Jesus and putting him behind the thing you're living for. That's an intimate picture. Faithfulness. All right, guys, personal application. How are you doing in your marriages? Are you living out intimacy and faithfulness? Faithfulness, not just with your body, but with your thoughts and your emotions and your energy. Intimacy, are you investing in that relationship? And corporately, how are you doing in your relationship with Jesus? Do you squeeze in a little time here and there? If that's supposed to be the most vital, most intimate relationship from which all the other relationships we experience flow, then you got to put some time and energy into it. And so maybe beginning this Father's Day, you carve out a few minutes, you know, you pick a book, at a, pick Ephesians, read a chapter of Ephesians each day, come up with a couple things, that questions you got, and come ask somebody, who, don't ask me, ask somebody about the questions, write them down, and come up with a prayer list based on the things you're reading. Form a little prayer list, you don't need a, you don't need a program, you don't need a journal, read a chapter, write down some questions, write down some things you're praying about, and some things that you need to start doing, and some things you need to stop doing. So how are you doing in your relationship with Jesus as your husband? Intimacy and faithfulness. Well, just the four pictures. We're not doing 100. We just did four. As I was thinking about the pictures, I thought, well, but how can we practice them? And I, I, I kept coming back to this. If you were to take those four pictures, and I didn't do this, but I'd be willing to bet. If you were to take the other 96 pictures of God's relationship with the church, boil them all down, and say, but what are you left with? After you boil all the stuff off, I have the sneaking suspicion you'd be left with transformation, community, and mission. Do those sound familiar? You'd be left with how we started the service. Transformation only comes through the work of Jesus in our lives. 
Therefore, we better prioritize that relationship because that is the energy. That's the center from which transformation comes in us and all the other relationships. How are you doing with the transformation value? That transformation comes in your relationship to Jesus. Notice how every picture speaks to that. We live under the parent. Jesus is the cornerstone. Live in alignment with him. Jesus, the bridegroom. Jesus the potter, Jesus the shepherd, Jesus is always the center. Is he the center of how we're living? If you're going to practice transformation, Jesus has to be at the center. Second community, that's our second value, relational, right? We've got transformational and relational. That's second value. How are we doing living in community? Community in families, but community here at Calvary? I often hear, oh, but Calvary's such a big church. Fine, we're not asking you to go meet everybody, meet somebody. Hang out in the back, find somebody who kind of looks like you or you think is semi-normal. Go talk to that person. Form a relation. I know some of you are introverts. Get over it. Um, we can't do community for you. You're going to have to do community. So step, avail yourselves to the opportunities to form community. Uh, some of you ran. How many of you ran yesterday in the 5K? We had just under 400 runners. I was not one. We had 400. You know what? Participating in things like that puts you in touch with others that have similar interests and affinities and then allow you to form relationships. If you only come on a Sunday morning, the Calvary is going to seem bigger than it really is. Avail yourself to something else. And when you avail yourself to something else, you'll be attracted, you'll be connected to people that share some of those same affinities. And lastly, mission. Mission. I'm often amazed uh, when I read about all those metaphors for church and all the hunter. I'm often amazed because mission is often the missing component in every metaphor. Rarely will the metaphors have the missional component, but it doesn't take long to think of every single picture and have it clearly have a missional aspect. So, for example, body, bodies grow. Unity, yes, as we grow in diversity. Bodies are growing. Bodies don't remain static. Some of yours may be growing in the wrong way. But bodies grow, right? Buildings. The whole point of the metaphor is it's in process. It's under construction. Jesus is adding building blocks all the time. There's a missional piece to that. And he wants to use us as the, as the people who bring the other blocks in. And we've got a family. Families grow. And in the old days, kids would leave. But families grow as reproduction happens, right? Husbands and wives grow in their relationship together and they reproduce and have kids. See, every metaphor has a missional piece. Why do you think we often miss the missional piece? Because we often miss the missional piece. We're not living it, so we don't even see it. So let me uh, mention just a few things that maybe over the next few weeks or over the summer you want to avail yourself to or of. We are, we're in need of some people uh, to go to Puerto Rico. Now, for this particular adventure, you need some skills. I didn't get the invitation, right? Uh, you know, we need some uh, cement workers, some mason-type guys. So if you can spare some time, you can stop back at the hub. They'll hook you up with that. Um, we had our urban partners here, a couple of them. We had Anita and Kaz here last week. And one of the things that we're doing in the city is helping to refurb some homes. We've got a home right now with a family in it that is in desperate need of some repairs in the home. 
So depending on your skill level, if you can stop back at, you know, at the hub and say, you know what, maybe I can participate in that, give us some contact information, we'll be in touch with you. We're also hoping to purchase a home you know, sometime this year, and we need people involved in that. We've got students and children's activities. We've got KidFest coming online, and that's a great opportunity for you to get together and connect with people so you can live out your missional, transformational, um, community kind of piece, right? You can do that. Students. We've got students that are going on trips. They're doing their retreats this summer. They've got events, and they need small group leaders for the fall. You, need, you can volunteer for that. And you can get connected and experience transformation because transformation happens in community. There, I mean, the opportunities are essentially limitless. Go to the website for tomorrow's devotions. Go spend a half hour on the website, 10 minutes on the website. Just look around at all the stuff going on. We can't volunteer or avail you of those opportunities. But remember, if we're going to experience church, it's not time and place. It's people. People connected to Jesus, connected to each other for the benefit of the world. That's who we are. People continuing what Jesus started in community to change our location, our local area, the region, and the world. That's what we do. So we're all in the crib right now. But you big babies are leaving pretty soon. And we're church when we're here. And we're church when we're not here. How was church today? Answer that tonight before you go to sleep. Where do you go to church? I sure hope people are in the answer, not a particular building. We're ambassadors. We did a, um, a series a couple years ago now. We called it Get, it Get in the Game. And we had the stage decorated as a locker room without the smell, remember? I wanted the smell. They wouldn't let me. This is the locker room. Locker rooms are really important, but you don't play the game in the locker room. The locker room is kind of like the crib. It's where you get rested to go play the game. Babies don't live in the crib. Babies rest, or their parents rest when the baby's in the crib. So when they're out, you, the baby's built for the world, right? We're built to be church out there. We're not built to be church in here. This is locker room. This is crib. You don't keep your kid in the crib. Well, I want to end the service. And we're ending. It's Father's Day, 45-minute service today. I want to end the service. By introducing to you and mentioning to you the best ambassador that I know from Calvary Church. His name is Ben Hartgraft. The Eagles had a ring ceremony Thursday night. Any of you see there? And by the way, this is the first Father's Day ever when the Eagles were Super Bowl champions. Well, that ring ceremony on Thursday night started with the Lombardi Trophy being carried in to that celebration. Ben Hartcraft carried the trophy. Watch. Lombardi Trophy, Ben Hartcraft, an autism ambassador for the Philadelphia Eagles and one of the top Eagles autism challenge fundraisers.
Talk about cool, huh? Ben, stand up. All right, now everybody stand up. I hope you had a good time in the crib this morning. Hope you had a good time in the locker room. We're church as we gather. We're church as we scatter. Let's go be church today until we gather as church next week. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Father's Day.